0: I was able to get my first hospital CEO job at 32 years old.
1: Welcome in to Like a Man. I'm your host, Miles Nielsen. On today's podcast, I brought on Bill Mahoney, and he has extensive leadership experience I had to break his podcast into two different parts because both are so rich with advice and experiences. This one is the first one. I'll upload the second one next week. Let's dive in and let's give it a listen. I have here with me today Bill Mahoney. He came recommended by his brother Kevin Mahoney. And Kevin always talked up his big brother Bill and how great of a leader he is. And after looking through Bill's resume... He spent time in the Marines, he's a healthcare executive, he also is a community leader, and most importantly, he's a father of 10. So after seeing how well-rounded of a leader he is, I wanted him to come on to the show and give us some leadership lessons. So Bill, thanks for coming on. Well hey Miles,
0: glad to be here. I think my brother saw those nice things because I think I bought dinner the last three times we've met.
1: He may have been setting the table for some more dinner in the future.
0: That's probably what he's doing, setting me up.
1: So, Bill, why don't you give us a quick introduction and tell us about the various leadership positions you've been in?
0: Well, I've I've been in—I was in the Marine Corps about 40 years ago, so I'm in my mid-fifties now, and uh, I, you know, worked in nuclear power plants in my early twenties. Went back to school, kind of as a late bloomer, in my late twenties, and then um, I had um, started getting into healthcare in my early thirties, and I I got into um, rural hospitals and. Uh, rural turnarounds. And after 27 years, I'm on my fourth hospital and decided while I was here in Branson, Missouri, uh, once we got that turned around, to stay. And so I've been here for 13 years as the hospital president. Um, And the health system that I'm with, I have two other hospitals that I'm fortunate to lead. And then I have some uh, responsibilities throughout the system for our labs and therapies and uh, fitness centers. I think the better thing for me is that I have a great wife and I have eight daughters and two sons.
1: Why don't you start there and tell us what it's like being a father of 10 kids?
0: You know, um, early on, you, you feel the responsibilities heavy on your shoulders and you, you work hard and you get up early and you, you try to keep focused. Um, you know, I think a, a big part of that, though, from the business world is trying to keep balance. And I think of, you know, over the years, especially when the kids were in their middle years, teen years. My wife once said to me, she said, honey, I can do everything with the kids, but create memories for you. So you need, you need to be there more. And then when you're home, honey, you need to be present and not have work with you. And so those are things I've had to really work on. Um, I think I've done better with the last three or four kids than I did with the first three or four.
1: And that was before the time sucking social media was around, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, that was, that was probably the beginning of those days. Maybe it was 15, 10 or 15 years ago. Um, Probably once in a while she still does it, um, not so much anymore, but uh, definitely when we had about five teenagers in the house, maybe I wasn't present for a reason. Sometimes they can overload you.
1: That's what I've heard. I'm not looking forward to the day when I have teenagers in my house.
0: I'll tell you, it was interesting. This is 12 years ago. We had a lot of the teenagers in the house and I was bishop of my church I was the chairman of the board of the Branson Chamber here in Branson, Missouri, and I was turning around a hospital that was uh, losing $6 million a year. So I think I really needed to be present the five or six hours I was home and maybe the one or two hours I was awake at that time.
1: Bill, why don't you give us some advice on what you've learned through marriage and navigating that relationship with your role as an executive and just as a leader?
0: You know, that's been a, one of big growth to me. Um, you know, you always hear throughout your life about the help meet, you know, your spouse being your helpmate. And I've been fortunate that um, that's been huge for me. Um, my wife has been able to tell me things that maybe others wouldn't because of my leadership position or role. And she's going to say, honey, you know, be mindful of this or, or, hey, you did a good job tonight at this presentation. And but however, you know, you might want to watch this. And she's always kind of been that guide for me and that inspiration sometimes that wives get that, that men don't. And so that, that has been big for me. And uh, also, you know, just taking care of things here at home that I really have not had to worry about. If you want to know the truth, I look at my married kids now who are in their late 20s. Their husbands do a lot more than I did around the home. I worked probably about 70 hours a week, 60, 70 hours. And my wife took care of things with my church assignments. I just went and did work, church, community stuff. And my wife took care of a lot of the things in the home. And she was a trooper. And really, she, she is the base and foundation of a lot of my success. Um, even to point my first interview, we had to do it on a VHS tape. And I went through the interview and did the questions the company wanted. She said, honey, I really think you need to do it again. Some of these need to be sharper. And I did it. And I was able to get my first uh, hospital CEO job at 32 years old. And I would say she was the guiding force of refining me as she has done over the 30 plus years.
1: So you were really the CEO of a hospital when you were only 32 years old? That's correct. Why don't you tell us how that came to be? That's a pretty amazing achievement for a 32-year-old. I mean, you have people who are CEOs that are young. Some of them are self-appointed CEOs, but to be appointed and hired as a CEO is a big achievement.
0: Well, I was in grad school and I did an internship. And again, I was about 31 at the time in my internship year. And the CEO of the company I was interning with said, hey, with your personality and your background and your energy, you're not going to be happy being a middle manager. He said, I really think that you should go um, try to be like a smaller hospital with 200 employees or so, maybe $15 million revenue, $20 million revenue uh, CEO. And I said, really? They'd hire somebody like me? He said, well, you never know unless you try. And so I sent out 100 resumes, and I got turned down 99 times. I mean, I could read the first line of a letter and tell you if you get accepted or not. And then one said, we'll give you a chance. I went for the interview. They asked me what I would do. And I went around the community the day before the interview and talked to people in the community about their hospital, what they liked and didn't like. And I said, well, here's what your community has told me. And I went around the hospital the night before at midnight, and I talked to the night shift. Because those people usually on the night shift will tell you the truth. And I noticed they had some outdated uh, certificates hanging around. And I said, you know, if you're not watching these things, this is why you're losing money. And I gave them my game plan. And uh, they said, you know what? Wow. I think they like the Marine Corps thing, too, maybe a little bit. They need one little bit of discipline. But they had just broken off of a big hospital system. And they really needed someone just to swing the bat. And I really had nothing to lose um, going there in my first hospital. I was fortunate. Went there for six years we got turned around, did very well. And then another hospital uh, noticed me and gave me another opportunity. And then, you know, your resume gets a little thicker and
1: you get more opportunities. Wow. That's amazing. So you were 32, worked six years, and then went on to the next venture.
0: I went on to a hospital in Kansas that was losing money, came in there. um, They basically were so hungry for leadership and culture that I just came in there, uh, had a dynamic team, a lot of good people that just, just needed support. Um, they needed someone to be positive with them um, and, and, and just help. And uh, we were fortunate there that I ran as some of the most neat people ever in my life. It was a town that had one time been pretty, done pretty well with the railroad, the railroad kind of moved out. And I would say the community had, it wasn't poverty of the wallet, it was poverty of the mind that I saw in a lot of the community folks. And we were able to get people together and, and we did a construction project. We opened up a, uh, a, a fitness center and a pool for the community. We were able to um, improve the, the health, the financials, and recruit in some excellent doctors to this community. But I, I were getting doctors out of the Ivy League to come there because it was a rural community. People bought into 10 acres and a home, if you will, and was really blessed to have the opportunity there with a great board that supported me and just said, okay, what do you want to do next? And I have a dangerous personality when you hand me a checkbook and say, what do you want to do next?
1: So Bill, sounds like you're a very positive person. Have you always been this positive? You know,
0: I I would tie this to business. I think there's two things that I've learned that you have to be in business and I've not always been great at it, is patience and being positive Let's go to the positive one first. Um, I've had times in my first six years being a CEO where I, I grew up from outside Chicago, the oldest of five kids. My dad was in construction. You know, you were kind of straightforward with people. And that happened a couple of times in my first job. And that didn't work out well for me. Um, you know, doctors have the power. They're the ones that have the patient. They have the pen. And they're the ones that are, you know, people come for medical expertise. They don't come for my, uh, you know, administrative skills. Um, they come there to see the, the providers. And I had to learn there that you know what you got to keep it positive. There was a saying that a, a Cubby guy taught me once said once said always heard, and boy has that been uh, instrumental for me. As I look at young executives now in a meeting, I you see the kind of the young up and comer, and they want everybody to know how bright they are, and they say a couple things, and five years later in the interview, and someone brings up what they said, and so you always got to be mindful of, of what you say. So I, I do try to be positive. I'm not always that way. Um, but I, I am, I'm energetic and I, I love people and I'm excited about things. And the other one is patience. I have missed some good opportunities, be it investing wise, be it um, things that could have happened to my benefit because I wasn't patient. Um, be patient. Your time will come. Always tell people, work hard, be focused. Um, you know, I tell my daughters and my sons, but my daughters are the ones that are married. Look for two things in a guy guy that works hard and a guy that can be obedient to rules and commandments. And fortunately, they all have. And I said, if you can get those things down right, the other things will come. Um, But so I would say I have tried to work on being more positive because people want leaders who have hope and who can guide uh, um, them. And boy, nobody wants to listen to someone who's negative or who is always admiring the problem
1: you know, being a dad, I've learned a lot of lessons in leadership. And one of the things that I have learned is that you must always be positive. You can't be negative around your kids. You have to be that hope that they look to. If you're negative and you try to pass your problems on to your kids, that's just going to make them worry unnecessarily. And it's totally the wrong thing to do.
0: That's very true. And you know, and and, it's interesting that we brought a guy in, his name's Dr. Wayne Sotile. He is like, one of the leading people in the country on happiness. And we brought him in for our doctors to hear. And I'd heard Wayne at another conference. We'd become friends. And I think he's like counseled or interviewed 50,000 people. I mean, high ranking people. And we had a meeting once. He had all the docs in the room. I think I'm not sure what we paid him to come in. And he said on a scale of one to 10, he said, list your happiness score. And everyone had their score. And he goes, okay, what's your score? He goes, I bet it's about a seven. And that was pretty true. Most people were a seven. He said, if you win the lotto, you're an eight for about a year. If you have a major body burn, you're about a six, okay? It, in his his history of, you know, interviewing and counseling people for years. And he said, why are you only a seven? And people said, well, Medicare, hospital administration, uh, you know, different reasons. He goes, no, you're a seven because that's what you're choosing. So he went through and he talked about our relationships. He said, the people, he said... The first two years of marriage, most people are high on the scale of, of happiness. Then it comes down, and he goes, and then the, some people flatline. They remarry, some do, and it goes up for a couple of years, and it comes back and flatlines. Unless they do two things to keep it up. And he says it's two things, is support and control. He goes, when you come home, he goes, you've got to be in the mindset. If it takes you 25 minutes to get home and you can get work out of your mind, you have to have that. And you got to have that control. And you got to have that job where you feel like you have some control. He says, when you come in that house, that first 15 minutes of your your partner, your your wife, husband, you know, whatever your situation may be, he goes, you've got, you're either going to increase their immune system or decrease their immune system on that connection. That's the rest of the day. He goes, they have to have support. He said, and if you can't come in there and be that support, he goes, you're going to have problems. And if you don't have that control of your life, you're going to have those problems. But those people that can do that will be happy that was some of the best advice i ever ever received um i always you know i have about a 15 minute drive home to work i try to get things out of my mind like home so when i come in i can say to my wife, how have you been doing how's this going for you hey what can i do here because i want her her resilience to be built up i want her immune system to be strong but he said the people that do that they have happier lives and happier marriages and that was, I was fortunate to get that great advice um, from this well-seasoned individual.
1: I had a mentor at my last job who taught me that when you go home, don't go home and give your wife all your problems. Go home and ask her how she's feeling. When I started doing that, it made a huge difference. And what you're talking about with that support, that's huge. That's a huge thing in marriage. And then another quick thought. When I first graduated college, me and my wife went to live with my grandpa for a little bit. And he would always say, a happy wife is a happy life. And your home life is very important. And it does determine how effective you're going to be at work. Some people, they go home, they're unhappy, they come to work, they're crummy, they're unhappy. But then you have those people who are happy at home, then they come to work and they're happy at work too. It's it's that support thing is huge, like you're saying.
0: Yeah. And and it's possible to be happy at work and home. You know, I I love what you said there about how are you feeling? Now, Dr. Sotel said something to me I thought was interesting. We were talking after one of his speeches once when we brought him in. And he said, you got to realize something, especially you with 10 kids. He goes, your wife is getting asked a thousand questions. Hey, mom, where's the milk? Mom, can I do this? Mom, can do And she's getting touched all the time. He goes, her sensory perceptors are on dull by the time you get there. She has been touched, grabbed, spit on. Uh, 150 times she's been asked 200 questions and you come home Hey honey I want to talk to you about this because you gotta make sure you got that support and control down pat especially when you got 10
1: kids So Bill, I'm gonna shift gears here a little bit. You had mentioned earlier that when you were out in Kansas you had to manage and change the culture. I'm curious how do you define culture and then as a leader how do you manage culture how do you create culture?
0: You know my hospital right now, My employees know that I love them. Um, And it's not, I I do send an email out every couple of weeks being very personal and vulnerable to them. So I think vulnerability is key to culture. I think doing what you say you're going to do and living the mission is important for culture. And I care about people. My my life's purpose is to make a difference in people's lives by showing them that someone still cares. And that's my strength. I'm not the smartest person in the world. I I work pretty hard, but I care. I hope on my epitaph it says he cared. And so when you're telling people, hey, what what are our goals? You come up with them together, and they see you supporting them. They see you there on Christmas morning. They don't just see you there 8 to 5. They see you there when times are rough. That ingrains culture into your foundation. And to maintain it, a lot of people will start saying, hey, when you come here, you're going to be cared about. At this hospital, we recruit people who want to take care of our patients. It's kind of like your kids. They're, they're a, a, a one down of you. They, they follow you more than you think. And the staff, when we, when we hire physicians who we know are going to care for the patients, like in my hospitals, there's not one doctor I wouldn't go to or have my family go to. And that says a lot because you can hire people who can bring a lot of money in or you can bring staff in who um, you know have a lot of connections maybe. Uh, But I want to bring people in totally who care about the patients that we get the blessing to serve. Because in healthcare, it's a calling. We're called to serve. And that was no better shown than during the pandemic.
1: Men, like I said, this is only the first part. I have a second part coming next week that is amazing with some experiences that Bill had. One of the experiences was on national news that I remember reading several years ago. And he was at the center of that. We're going to upload that one next week. But to end this one, we're going to end it with the mysterious manly sound of the following. Let me know if you know what it is.